In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he, uh, and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles through whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John baptized with water, uh, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into the heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You may be seated. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what your word shows us. Thank you for the relationship we get to experience with you by your spirit through your word. And now, Father, as we spend these next moments together thinking about the Holy Spirit and his role to mobilize us as followers of Jesus, help us. Help us to learn what this text teaches us. Father, we pray that we would not just learn a thing or two, but we pray that the very Holy Spirit, whom we will speak of from this passage, will be at work, stirring in our hearts, changing us. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we spent seven weeks, this is the seventh week, thinking about some themes that the Scriptures teach us concerning who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And we uh, conclude our, our study of the Holy Spirit this morning by trying to look at and consider and ask, answer the question, what does the Holy Spirit do to mobilize Christians? 
Two weeks ago, we looked at what the Holy Spirit does to make Christians. Last week, we looked a little bit about what the Holy Spirit does to mature Christians. And then this morning, what the Holy Spirit does to mobilize Christians. I, I hope by the time we put those three things together, as, long as, as well as the other studies, we, we, would, we would be impressed by God as to the importance of the Holy Spirit in our world and particularly in our lives. Two things I want us to think about this morning concerning this mobilizing work by the agent of the Holy Spirit. And in your bulletin, I'm going to flip the order of them. The first thing I want us to look at is the Holy Spirit mobilizes us with His superintendence. That's printed second in your bulletin, but we'll look at that first. And then we'll consider something of the Holy Spirit mobilizes us by His strength. First of all, the Holy Spirit mobilizes us with His superintendence. There's something utterly vital about the superintending work of the Holy Spirit in our life together as believers in a local church. As we've read from our passage um, in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1, one of, the, one of the first things that Jesus wants to stress to the early church there in Rome is to wait for the Holy Spirit. He says, in staying with them, he ordered them to not depart from Jerusalem. Stay right where you're at, but wait for the promise of the Father, uh, for which he, said you have, uh, which he said you have heard from me. So again, even as we do our last study of the Holy Spirit, do you see the, the, the Trinitarian orientation that we're giving here? This Holy Spirit that they are to wait for is the one promised by the Holy Spirit. On, secondly, He's the one that Jesus has spoken to them about. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, the church, there's something very uh, uniquely important about the Spirit of God and the gathering of the church. The church, in fact, is a gathering of the Holy Spirit. Something the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, he, he, speaking of the church, he said that the church is, is being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What does that mean, that, uh, that we are being built up into a spiritual house? I would suggest to you it, it literally means that, that we, are, we are a house who is indwelt by or who is inhabited by the Holy Spirit. We have the same notion in, by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where he says, um, Do you not know that you, and then here in chapter 3, he means you, meaning y'all, uh, meaning, meaning the, 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 the gathering of us. And in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, he'll say, Do you not know that you, you, sing, singular, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? So the Holy Spirit dwells in individual believers. But, but here he's also saying the Holy Spirit dwells among us as a gathering of believers. Do you not know that you are God's temple? That, that God's Spirit dwells among you? 
or even what the Apostle Paul alludes to in Ephesians chapter 2. It's speaking of how Jesus makes two people one. He says, in him also you are being built together uh, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The, the, The church is a gathering of the Spirit. The church owes its existence certainly to the Lord Jesus Christ, certainly to God the Father, but the Holy Spirit is so vital to our life together. And one of the ways that that the Holy Spirit is so vital to our life together is the Holy Spirit resides in the midst of our gathering as a church for the purpose of superintending us, giving us guidance, giving us direction, providing leadership for us. And one of the ways that we see that, if we were to start this morning and now read through all 28 chapters of the book of Acts, we, we, would, we would be, and if we're particularly looking for uh, the Holy Spirit's superintending work in the early church in the book of Acts, we would find it. It's popping up all over the place. The, the Holy Spirit is the superintendent. We, we ask ourselves sometimes, uh, who's in charge around here? Uh, and, and certainly, even in the book of Acts, we see God putting uh, the apostles, if you would, in charge of the church, human uh, agents uh, who were to provide leadership. And yet, and yet even in the book of Acts, uh, as, as important and as, as big shots as they are, the apostles are not in charge of the early church. It's the Holy Spirit who is in charge of the early church. It's the Holy Spirit who is providing guidance and leadership. And even as the church at times comes together and tries to make good decisions and decide things and sort things out, they do that under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's never just an issue of, well, this is what I think we ought to do. This is an issue of what do we sense the Holy Spirit is wanting us to do. So, for instance, in Acts chapter 8, uh, uh, in, in reference to um, Philip, in Acts 8, 29, it says, and the Holy Spirit told Philip to go talk to the Ethiopian eunuch. And he goes and he explains the gospel to the Ethiopian. Uh, Philip does that because the Holy Spirit told him to do that. Or in Acts chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, as, as Peter is receiving this vision, the, the Holy Spirit tells P- Peter, hey, in a little bit, three guys are going to come get you. Go with them. They're going to take you to the house of Cornelius. Go and explain the gospel to Cornelius and his household. Or, or in Acts chapter 13, as the church is meeting in the town of Antioch, and they're trying to decide what they should do about their missionary endeavors and efforts, and they're praying and seeing Seeking the Lord. And in Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit tells the church gathering at Antioch, set apart Barnabas and Paul for this missionary expedition. And in Acts chapter 15, as the, as the believers gather together at the church at Jerusalem, and, and, and they're trying to, to like make a, a, a good conclusion, a consensus concerning the nature of the gospel as it relates to Gentiles. When when the dust all settles, it it says that, and the Holy Spirit approved of the decision that they made. In Acts chapter 16, as Paul is trying to get into Asia to expand the gospel, we're told that the Holy Spirit 
prevented uh, missionary travels into Asia. And in fact, redirects Paul to go into the region of Macedonia. In in Acts chapter 19, as as Paul is uh, in Ephesus, he is told uh, that that he, by the Holy Spirit, that he will return back to Jerusalem and from there he will go on to Rome. You see, when you read through the book of Acts, you get this... You get this feel that the Holy Spirit is very intimately involved in the interactions of the believers and of the gatherings of the churches. Every essential step, every, every, every strategic episode in the account of the witness of the gospel is unfolding and advanced by the Holy Spirit. We, we, might, we, we might be prone to think, and of course this would be totally off base, but you know what? We got this. We, we don't really need the Holy Spirit telling us what to do. We know how to do church. We know how to do the Lord's work, and we know how to, how to go about these things. And that would just be such a foreign concept to what we see recorded as to the activities in life and focus of the church in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit was alive and vibrant and present. And the Holy Spirit was given very clear direction to the church in the the book of Acts. And in fact, sometimes we reduce down um, the reality of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Sadly, we make the Holy Spirit maybe... I mean, he does personally indwell us, but we make the experience of the Holy Spirit way too personalized, way too just all about me. We, 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 might, we might play a certain song or we might hear a certain song sung and, and we might feel a certain emotional flutter in our hearts uh, in connection to that song. And, and we might say, well, that was the Holy Spirit creating that flutter. And it may or may not. It could have just been a really good written song or something uh, with a nice tune or a backbeat to it. But, 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 but and, and, and yet sometimes it could be the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's, it's really not the, the most essential mark of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The, but the Holy Spirit's agenda is far more, far greater than simply giving you and I a certain kind of flutter. The Holy Spirit's agenda is to advance the church's witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the superintendent, the the boots on the ground, if you would, to carry out the mission of the church. So that we, if you would, listen to the guidance and leadership and superintendence of the Spirit. And when we listen to the Spirit, it will be far more than just simply we feel a certain way during a certain song. It will be that we are engaged in the work that our Lord has left us to carry out. The Holy Spirit is the only one that could bring an odd species of people together and and cause us to dwell together in unity. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I take that to mean that the the unity that the Spirit himself creates in, in our midst, the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. And yet, and yet, it is not mere harmony that would be an evidence of the Spirit. 
I mean, we could just run off everybody who don't look like us and don't talk like us and don't think like us and don't vote like us. And we say, well, we, we are certainly harmonious uh, because it's just us now. It's not them. And we, this, is, this is something bigger than the Kiwanis Club. But yet a distinct mark of the Spirit is that He will be stirring a unity in our hearts with each other. And yet, and yet that unity of the Spirit is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. It's a unity of the Spirit so that we have a harmony in our mission to faithfully engage in gospel advance. In other words, it's not a harmony that says, let's lock the doors and hunker down and let's just keep it us because we like us, we don't like them. No, no, if the Holy Spirit is present with us, He is creating a unity in our midst that simultaneously gives us a, a redirection to look outside of ourselves, to, to look at something even bigger than our own feelings of harmony, to see we are to be harmonious in our mission to advance the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the superintending work of the Spirit. The second thing I want to touch on this morning is how the Holy Spirit mobilizes us by His own strength. So He superintends us. Hey, come over here. This is what you're supposed to do. And He indwells us so that we listen to Him and carry out what He wants us to do. Back at Acts chapter 1, um, the, the, the apostles, it, it says there earlier that Jesus had spent 40 days talking to Israel about the kingdom of God. And so, verse 6, they come together and said, hey, Jesus, is now this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he doesn't dismiss that question, but he redirects it. There will be a time when he restores the kingdom to Israel. And, and yet, that's not their business right now. Uh, that's not what they're to focus on. And he says there in verse 8, But you will receive power. Speaking of the Holy Spirit from a couple of verses earlier, he, he rejoins that conversation. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And then, and then really... What he says next is, is not just a geographical boundary. It's really kind of the outline of the rest of the book of Acts. You will be my witnesses right here in Jerusalem where we're all at, but also in Judea and Samaria, the neighborhoods around Jerusalem, and, and, and to the ends of the earth. So that by the time we get to Acts chapter 28, the, the Paul is literally in Rome. They are at the ends of the earth, if you would. So you, you see how the Holy Spirit has not only mobilized the church through his superintending work, but we see how the Holy Spirit mobilizes his church by imparting his strength to the church. Jesus gives you and I a mandate to witness. What does that mean? Well, what that means is, um, in fact, if... um, uh, what, what Pastor Carl did uh, a few minutes earlier uh, is setting us up as we thought about the Lord's table as he, as he bore witness to the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you would have recorded that, then you could play that back. and you could re- yeah. the, the, was, he, he explained to us some things about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and the significance that that is to play into our lives. What was he doing a while ago? He was bearing witness of Jesus 
Now, what he did is not meant to be some sort of um, odd, esoteric um, activity that's reserved for just a couple of Christians. What, what he did here at this moment is something that you and I are to be open and willing and prayerfully trying to do wherever the Lord plants us. In our neighborhoods, with our co-workers, our friends, our family members, our kinfolk, we're, we're, we're to be ever asking, Holy Spirit, is, is, is this a moment that you've put in front of me that, that I could tell some people about the Lord Jesus Christ? That is, that is called being a witness. We're to be a witness. And, and, and yet instinctively, the moment I say that, um, some of us might be overwhelmingly daunted by such an assignment. Me? I, I, I'm not been to seminary. I can't do that. I, 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 there's so many things. What if they ask a question I don't know how to answer? I mean, uh, what, if they, what if they turn me down? What if they tell me I'm dumb? What if, uh, what if they mock me as being a Christian? I mean, there's a whole host of things that we could play into our heads that would try to back us away from the cliff and say, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and, and, and yet we have a mandate to witness and yet what Jesus is telling us that this mandate to witness is coupled with an empowerment for such witness. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit doesn't just say, hey, you're, you're supposed to be witnessing, but the Holy Spirit kindly gets inside of us and stirs around and works uh, power into our hearts and souls. In fact, I would say that the mobilizing work of the Holy Spirit is not simply our witness outside of church, but, but it's also our work within the church. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a chapter that speaks about spiritual gifts. In other words, the, the, the ways that, that even a, a local assembly of believers are to look out for each other and serve each other and care for each other. He says there in chapter 12, he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit to each. In other words, to each one of us. Each, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's so insightful and so helpful that he says that because even sometimes when we think about spiritual gifts, we immediately run to the category of, well, what do I like to do? Well, what would bring me fulfillment? Well, what do I feel like I'm good at? And that's probably a totally misapplication of the notion of spiritual gifts. Because what he's saying is that we have a manifestation of the Spirit in us so that we would do something for the good of others, for the building up, for the helping of others. So far from just reducing spiritual gifts down to kind of a therapeutic notion of, well, this makes me feel good about myself. Spiritual gifts are, are what the Spirit gives to us so that we can look around and see some good that we can do some help that we could offer, some ways that we could serve somebody. In other words, when we have that perspective, that's the Spirit manifesting Himself in our midst and in our hearts and in, 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 in our lives. Uh, it says all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who uh, uh, apportions to each one individually as He wills. 
So the Holy Spirit empowers us us to serve each other in the life of a local church. Uh, But I say that just in passing because the Holy Spirit also empowers us so that we would get outside the church and we would bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. He mobilizes us by his superintendence. He mobilizes us by the strength that he gives. Now, let me, let me dig down a little bit deeper about this notion of strength that he gives. Some of this is going to overlap with what we dealt with last week. But, but as I've tried to understand how Luke uh, writes some of the things he does in the book of Acts, as well as the Gospel of Luke, about the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, it, it seems to me that Luke is going to um, talk to us about the Holy Spirit on a couple of different tracks. The, and, and to help us do that, Luke uses two distinct terms. They sound alike to us, But there are two different words that Luke uses, and yet he uses them consistently. He uses one word to kind of insinuate this, and uses another word to kind of imply that. And and, and here's what I'm saying. Sometimes when we're reading through Acts, Luke uses the term full of the Spirit, F-U-L-L, full of the Spirit. And when Luke uses that term, uh, he, he uses that term to describe really kind of what we talked about last week, about how the Holy Spirit indwells us as believers to mature us so, so that we become obedient followers of Christ, so, so that we bear the fruit or the evidence of the Spirit in our lives. Uh, in other words, all true believers uh, are possessed by the Spirit, and the Spirit who resides in us is helping us to grow up in Jesus. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so when Luke uses the term full of the Spirit, he's really talking about just the steady presence of the Spirit in each and every believer's life. And, 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 and then he, when he uses that term, full of the Spirit, almost without exception, he usually lists other characteristics, almost like saying, Here, here's how you can tell this person is possessed by the Spirit because this person is displaying these sort of traits or evidences or qualities of the Spirit. So, for instance, in Acts chapter 3, as the, as the church is trying to decide on who the men should be who are arguably what we now call deacons, um, and it says there they should be men um, of good report, full of the Spirit and wisdom. Full of the Spirit. We'll say, well, how do I know if they're full of the Spirit? they have a characteristic of being wise. Not wise guys, but wise, godly, godly wisdom. Or, uh, and then speaking of one of them in particular in Acts chapter 6, Stephen, uh, it, says, it says, mentions Stephen, says a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. How do we know Stephen was full of the Spirit? That, that was because he had a characteristic about him of, of faith or faithfulness about him. Or in, in Acts chapter 11, speaking of Barnabas, it says there that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Or of the disciples in general in Acts thirteen fifty two, it says, and the disciples were full of joy and with the Holy Spirit. 
So every time Luke uses the term full, he's really talking about just the ongoing steady operation of the Spirit in the life of a just a typical ordinary believer, just the, the normal activity of the Spirit. Every true believer has the Holy Spirit in them, and that Holy Spirit in us is working the fruit of the Spirit, the evidences of His presence with us, maturing us as believers in Jesus Christ. And yet Luke uses another term, not full of the Spirit, but the term filled by or with the Spirit. And every time, that, now when you say, well, full and filled, that sounds a lot alike. And, and it does to our ears. It does to, to the, in the English language. And yet it's two distinct words in the language that Luke is using. So he describes full of the Spirit to describe just the steady operation of the Spirit in the life of, of our life together and the life of, the, uh, of, of each individual believer. And yet when he uses filled by or filled with the Spirit, he's not talking about the steady, normal operation of the Spirit to mature us. He's really talking about a special endowment of the Spirit to send us, to mobilize us, not just to mature us, but to mobilize us. Now, this could be tricky. Um, all believers are full of the Spirit. If, if you do not have the Spirit, we looked at last week in, John, in Romans chapter 8, then you do not belong to Christ. All who belong to Christ have the Spirit. And, and Luke is consistent with that. And yet he uses another term to describe um, something of a unique filling not, not the ordinary filling uh, for just the, the normal processes of growth and maturity and evidences of the Spirit, but a unique filling for a special task. And almost without exception, the special task that we are talking about throughout the, gospel, um, throughout the book of Acts is uh, being filled by or filled with the Spirit is associated with Speaking the words of the gospel to others. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so all believers have the Holy Spirit. And yet as Luke makes his way through here, he's describing a special filling that can come on. Uh, This is not a filling that you and I could just simply figure out, well, what's the technique by which I can manipulate the Holy Spirit to fill me in that way so I can have the enablement to speak the gospel? The Holy Spirit is not a thing. He's a person. And so uh, there's not a formulaic function to kind of manipulate the Spirit to give you that filling. And I say that to say because a lot of things that you read uh, in in Christianity today about the filling of the Spirit, they'll give you a how-to, how to be filled with the Spirit, as though you could just jump through these hoops and boom, bada-bing, you know, there it is. You know, I I, I don't know that that's the way it it works. Um, This being filled by or with the Spirit is something that, that God just ups and decides to send down and to do. It's, 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 in fact, it's the same word uh, that when we would read in the book of Exodus, um, how when they were building the tabernacle, it says that the Holy Spirit 
filled these artisans, these men. He filled them for a task, for a special assignment to do the, the beautiful work on the temple and the tabernacle. It's the, it's the, it's the, 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 it's the same word that, that Luke uses to describe how the Holy Spirit will, would, would just choose to come down and enable believers to powerfully speak the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he mobilizes us by his superintendence, but he mobilizes us by his strength. For instance, because now this may leave you kind of fetching and, and curious, and that's fine. It's always good to leave out of here curious. But, but in Acts chapter 4, and I'll conclude with this, this is an episode in which Peter is once again preaching the gospel. And in fact, he's been called in front of the authorities and to, get, to give an explanation to himself. And, and they actually tell him to stop preaching that gospel. And, and he refuses to do it. He continues to preach the gospel. And, and, and yet before we're done at the end of this chapter, we see that, that, that this is one of the occurrences that Luke uses to describe that Peter is filled by or filled with the Spirit. I would just say two things about if there is a way that we could cultivate or place ourselves in, 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 a, in the pathway of the Spirit, to be filled by the Spirit for the special work of, of, of bearing witness to Jesus, it would consist of, of two aspects. First, first, to be filled by the Spirit would first of all mean that you and I would begin to do what the Word of God has already told us to do. In other words, we, we, can't, we don't get off here and say, well, well, gosh, now if I need the filling of the Spirit to, to, be, to have that special task of bearing witness, I'm just going to sit here and wait. And wait. And wait. And wait. And wait. And then blame the Holy Spirit because He never came down and, and uh, did for me what I told Him I wanted Him to do for me. That's not how it works. Peter is going to be described as being filled with the Spirit, but, but I want you to note the progression here. Peter is going to be filled by the Spirit after he is engaged in two things. He has already begun the whole first part of chapter 4. He has already begun to do what the Lord has already told him to do, and that is to, to bear witness about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second thing that Peter does, and this is found in verse 29 of chapter 4, um, and in verse 29, um, he says, uh, he's praying, and, and now, Lord, look upon um, their threats and grant to your servants to continue. So he's already done what he is supposed to be doing, and now he joins that with a prayer of expressing his need for and dependence upon the Lord to continue to do what he's already begun doing. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then look at verse 31. And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit 
and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In other words, the characteristic pattern of being filled with the Holy Spirit consists of at least two activities that you and I are responsible to pay attention to. We're to do what Jesus has told us to do. And we're to ask Jesus to help us to do what he has told us to do. And when we're doing what Jesus has asked us to do, and we ask him to help us to do what he has asked us to do, then we can assume and bank on and depend upon and count on the fact that the Holy Spirit will fill us with that special presence that we would be able to continue to do what we've already started to do in obedience to the Lord and in dependence upon His Spirit's power. Now, if you're here this morning, and it may be odd or weird for for us to spend this whole time talking about the Holy Spirit, and there's a sense in which um, the, the main focus of our time together this morning ought not to be the Holy Spirit, The main focus of our time together this morning should be the one whom the Holy Spirit has come to enable us to bear witness of. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who took on flesh and became a man, the God-man, and who lived a perfect life, who died as a perfect sacrifice so that as we started earlier with, in Carl's explanation, so that the justice of God, the, our condemnation before God could be removed from us, that the wrath of God would be abated from us because it's been placed upon Jesus as our substitute. We, we gather here this morning, certainly we hope and pray in the power of the Spirit, but we gather here this morning with a focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ because He's the one who has laid down His life for people like us, for any and all who would turn to Jesus and trust in Him. And so we wrap things up with this. Turn to Christ. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to the one who doesn't wait for you and I to get our act together and turn over a new leaf and try to do better next time. He comes to us while we were still sinners, and His death on the cross is enough to atone for our sins. His death on the cross is enough to welcome us into God's family. His death on the cross is enough to give us eternal life in the presence of God. And His death on the cross is enough to enable us to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. Turn to Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that your word teaches us about all things. And yet we thank you in particular about our time together these last weeks and thinking about the precious Spirit of God and His work in our lives and in our midst. Help us, Father, to depend upon, to look to, to be led by, to be filled with and to be full of the Spirit. That we may honor you with our lives and that we may bear witness of Jesus with our words. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we sing this next song, I would suggest to you that this is the Holy Spirit 
giving us these words and admonitions to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Let's stand and sing this song together. Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. 